Hello, listeners, and welcome to FF Plus. I'm Aaron, one of your co-hosts, and here with me for this episode is my longtime co-host and best friend, Patrick. Good evening, morning, whenever you're listening to this. Well, here at FF Plus, we use this as an outlet for our spoiler-free reviews and movies that we aren't going to get in-depth on quite in the same way as we do with our main episodes. This is really just a place that's kind of like a smorgasbord, Patrick. It's whatever we want it to be. And today, we want it to be about a documentary that we got a chance to check out. One that we both found incredibly fascinating when we heard that it was being put into existence. And we were like, yes, we want to see that and we want to talk about it. And so that's what FF Plus really is. It's going to be the place where we can do that. We can talk about trailers, we can talk about news, or we can talk about Tony Hawk and skateboarding. And that's what we're going to do today, my friend. I'm very excited about that. Well, the film that we are going to be discussing, the documentary, is called Pretending I'm a Superman, the Tony Hawk Video Game Story. A very long title, I might add. Lots of colons. And colons. Two. Oh, they're the nemesis <laughs> of us. <laughs> yeah, colons. They really are. They're such a pain for those of us who do any sort of social media promotion for content or post content. It's like, this is, a title should have, a, I think there should be like a limit, right? I really do. I think there should be a standard in some sort of like MLA format where titles cannot be longer than five words or <laughs> something, or maybe character limit. But a colon and then this is just crazy. I actually kind of wanted to start there. So the film itself is exactly what the second half of that colon says it is. It is the story of the Tony Hawk video game series. And I say Tony Hawk video game series because it actually encompasses the original Tony Hawk Pro Skater game series that I believe had about five entries or so. And then came Tony Hawk Underground and a couple other entries later on uh, in its existence. And so it does touch on all of them, although the majority of the documentary focuses on the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series, those first original five games. So it does do that. But I, when we got this, it's called Pretending I'm a Superman. What did that do for you? Did that make you think about Tony Hawk? Did that drag draw you in? Because I think with documentaries, sometimes there's a disconnect in getting the attention of a potential viewer by not giving your film a title that tells them what it's going to be about. Well, I think documentary titles can be really interesting because they can be straightforward or they can have a pun in them, something that kind of makes you laugh and kind of go, that's really interesting. What I think happens here is that you have a representation of the documentary accurately, but almost in conflict with the title. So I'm not going to get an over-analysis of this. What I'm thinking is that you have two stories being told here. You have the Tony Hawk game series story being told, and you also have the story of skateboarding and its ebb and flow throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s. And how that incorporates into the game and how the game influenced it. So when you look at pretending I'm a Superman, I'm asking, well, who is he talking about? Or who, who's the doc talking about? Is it talking about skateboarders? Is it talking about the game industry, Tony Hawk specifically? So it's a little ambiguous. And if you had just left it as the Tony Hawk video game story, 
that would have been enough for me because I grew up playing that on PlayStation. That was enough for me. It probably wouldn't have been enough for the casual fan who didn't play the game, maybe people that were into skateboarding. But I think both of those halves of the title were trying to serve those two entries, the skateboarding world and the game itself. But I don't think it meshed very well. It didn't really translate as a complete title to me that explained both of those. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. I think you described it perfectly, honestly. It is, it is trying to serve two masters, the two different sides of the title, because I actually like them both individually. Pretending I'm Superman, in my opinion, 100% talks about Tony Hawk and the way in which his career took off, the way in which he became this icon of skateboarding for people who grew up in our generation. And the Tony Hawk video game story very clearly and succinctly says this is about the Tony Hawk video game series. Like there is no question there. And I think that you're right. I think the pretending I'm a Superman part is to try and draw in the people that are not just there to learn about the video game series, even though really that's what it's about. (laughs) So there is a little bit. I mean, I know it's a little bit more than that, but it's highly, highly centered on that. So, so here's where here's where my frustration with the documentary is. I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it, but because it was trying to serve two masters, not only in the title, I felt like it was trying to do the same thing with the content. And there were elements of the doc that focused on the history of skateboarding, which I thought was really interesting. Didn't know about half the stuff. And then it would kick over to how that bled into the video game world, and. I felt like I wasn't getting enough of either. So if you're going to tell me the story of skateboarding and Tony Hawk's emphasis in that, his power in that, how it got to the nine, you know, the famous 900, that kind of thing, I would have watched that. I also would have watched a documentary strictly on the video game series, the game mechanics, how the programmers came up with what they did, how they mm-hmm. scattered out the locations. That's more of what I wanted because I was familiar with the video games. When you're trying to kind of serve those two masters, which do work, they're cohesive, they make sense. You got Tony Hawk. He's trying to endorse a game that he can get behind and really get people understanding, appreciating the world of skateboarding. It gets a little muddy because you feel like you don't get enough of both. I didn't feel that way. I felt like for the hour and a half that we got, we got kind of a surface level of history of skateboarding, Tony Hawk game series, history of skateboarding, Tony Hawk game series with elements of interviews with people in between. And it felt a little more shallow than I wanted it to be. I don't know that I would have articulated that way walking into this podcast, but what you just said, I completely agree with. And I had the same feeling, even though I don't think that I was able to notice it as much in the moment. It's actually about an hour and 10 minutes long. It's pretty darn short. And I think that that's part of what happened is the way in which they ended up getting information to tell the video game story wasn't enough to fulfill a length of a documentary that they wanted to tell. And so in order to kind of stretch that out and make it a broader story, they ended up adding on a nice 10, 15, 20 minutes even of kind of background information about how skateboarding became a thing in which ultimately leads to Tony Hawk becoming the face of skateboarding. And then therefore now it's time to make a video game about this sport. And so it falls onto him as being the face of it. 
And I, I agree. I actually really enjoyed some of the background. Uh, it reminded me of what was that? Is it a dog? Is it a documentary that we watched? Dogtown Dog and Z Boys. Yeah. So that was a really similar feel to some of the mm-hmm. stuff that we saw, but it was but it's pretty rocket fired. Um, I would have liked a little more about some of the other skaters. I really enjoyed any time we got to see them and hear from them. There's a great story in this uh, at the end, toward the end of the documentary, and it's it's really short, kind of unfortunately, but it's about a skater named Rodney Mullen, who is talking about the impact of Tony. Not just the video game series, but Tony, the person. And I, I liked that a lot and how all of the skaters would talk about him. And we got to learn how, you know, this guy was a skater and he was hurt, uh, injured. And Tony talked to him and kept encouraging him. And he was telling us this to kind of talk about how Tony handled his life and the kind of person he was to everyone. And in the middle of this encouragement, Tony was like, hey, you want to be a part of this game? One of the entries in the series. And it, it becomes a huge deal for Rodney, right? So like these other skaters, it's very impactful in their lives to become a part of these games because of the way that these games impacted culture. So that was really neat to me. And I think it ties into one of the other things I really love about the doc is the way in which it isn't just about the game itself. And like you said, the mechanics and how it came to be coded and created by Activision and by this team at Take-Two initially, but about how it impacted the world, how the game series came about in a time when the internet was just beginning to even exist. And so this culture of skating that existed in Southern California was not able to be worldwide or nationwide in a way that it would be today, right? So outside of like MTV coverage, before the X Games, the video game series really helped launch skateboarding as a sport into the homes. I mean, it was a big deal for us. And and it was, it was the first extreme sports, that's what they call them now, video game to really be a cultural phenomenon. And I enjoyed kind of learning about the history of that. It was really fun to see Twin Galaxies, which we know and love. The competitive gaming godfather, Walter Day himself, is interviewed in this documentary about how... Complete with his referee shirt, he, I couldn't... I was laughing so hard when I saw that. <laughs> but like, he's the... You know, he's talking about how this game was a competitive game. Like, they had world records that they would have people compete for and competitions that people would earn money if they won. Uh, it really was fun for me to learn all of those things about it. Was there anything that stuck out to you that you learned about the series and its impact? Well, I think one of the things that stood out to me was how it served as a conduit for various things. One being what you talked about, which is the exposure of skateboarding to the rest of the world. The other thing was the introduction of a soundtrack bringing obscure songs from bands that you wouldn't necessarily hear, you didn't get exposure to because they weren't on mainstream radio, hearing them on the game soundtrack and letting that be kind of the pre-Spotify kind of avenue to hear new bands. I remember playing Tony Hawk and then playing some of the spinoffs, which is another thing that I thought was interesting, is that Tony Hawk spun off a series of extreme sports games like Dave Mira BMX, 
which I think was part of the same development company and essentially a rebranding of Tony Hawk just using BMX bikes. I think that those games served as a conduit to allow you to hear non-top 40 stuff, get exposed to bands that you wouldn't hear otherwise unless you heard it word of mouth. Because again, like you said, the internet was very young. We didn't get Twitter and the social media that said, here, check this out. MySpace wasn't even a thing. You know, that was a big avenue for music. And what are you listening to? The other thing that I thought was interesting, Aaron, was how you see the skaters that are introduced as being part of the game. And there was a little bit of hesitation for a couple of them because they wanted to make sure that the representation in the game was authentic. And I thought the, I won't call it a battle, but maybe the challenge of figuring out how to create a game that was fun for everybody to play, but still kept the spirit of the sport around was definitely something I wanted to see more of. I wanted to see how did you solve this? What kind of input did you get from Tony and the rest of these skaters? How did you come up with creating little, uh, you know, getting the letters in the air and, and whatnot? And I, I love the fact that that kind of input was valued, that you had the game creators who respected the sources of research equally as much as the guys like Tony and those guys respected the game developers. Because I want to say Tony mentioned that in a typical world, you'd have game developers make the game and they'd be the ones in charge. And no matter what input they got, what they said went. These guys were very accommodating to Tony and the rest of the skaters to make sure that they got an accurate, at least in spirit, depiction of what it was like to play the game. And one thing that Tony said that I remember clearly is that he said what made the one of the things that made the first game great is that they got the mechanics right. You picked it up. You were able to start playing. You didn't have to fumble around with a bunch of different button combinations necessarily. You felt like you were already in the game and it made that more appealing because if you go into a complicated game where you have to learn basics look i just got mk11 it's going to take me a while to kind of get the game mechanics but it's a lot of button combinations that series is known for its massive button combinations for the payoff that you get tony hawk wasn't meant for this it was meant for people to pick the controller up jump through the warehouse and start skating and i think that the skaters recognized that and they said look we're going to suspend our disbelief a little bit if you're going to create some weird kind of tricks out of this. That's fine. It's a video game. And so there was this really great marriage of authenticity and fantasy married together. Man, it's also a great way to put it. I, yeah, I agree. I think hearing them talk about how the designers went to skate shops and observed the culture for six months, it's like thinking of someone who gets embedded in another country when they're doing war film photojournalism research or something, right? You're like truly observing an animal <laughs> or a species in its own element and learning what matters to them. And so it ended up doing what you're talking about and the words they used were it reflected the real skate world. And you're right. I think that that shines through and, you know, gamers, moviegoers, people who love art of all kind, we're going to respond to authenticity 
just like those skaters who wanted to be in an authentic game and be represented correctly, we respond to that as well. And it matters to us. And because the mechanics were easy to pick up and play, it's accessible to people to enjoy. It was interesting also learning about how they said that one of the cool things that came out of this was people would go play the game and they would accomplish a trick using button combinations and it would essentially serve as a form of inspiration because then they would go out into their front yard and be like, you know what? That actually can be done. I can actually make that happen. And then they might try that thing in real life. And so the game was inspiring this whole new generation of skaters and a furthering of the sport, right? And increasing of the difficulty and the challenges and the things that could be accomplished on a board. It just made people believe more could be done and just kept them trying to achieve it. And so it was a great kind of cyclical thing. And and I also enjoyed learning about just how the first game, the devs, anytime we talk to devs in a documentary, I'm going to go gaga for that as a video game lover. So when they're discussing how in the first game, they wanted to do so much and like any game, you can't do it all. And so in the second game, in the sequel, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, they really felt like they got everything there. They said that the first game to them was kind of like figuring out the physics and getting the animations to work and making sure it was a viable product. And then the second one was like, okay, all of these cool features and the things that we really wanted to be able to put in the first one, but we didn't have time because we were tweaking the base formula. Now we can expand on that. And this is like the product we want. And that is pretty much in line with fandom's response to the game series. THPS 2 is definitely one of the highest rated and most critically lauded games in the series. So it makes sense, right? And I really enjoyed that. And I like just... I like I like the acknowledgement too. They they talk about how as the series went on and on and on and got longer and it becomes harder to innovate. And I feel like this is something that happens in gaming a lot where you have a series that is putting out repetitive entries specifically sporting games whether it's Madden and football or NBA 2K and basketball, you know, whatever the title is, FIFA they get trashed every single year, Patrick, for not being innovative enough. At some point, innovation is not going to be what makes your game better because you can only iterate on a football game so much to be, I mean, that's, that's point blank, right? The best you can do to make it better is presentation. You can add in interesting and compelling modes. And you can make sure that it is as tight, 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 mechanically speaking, and it feels like you're playing that sport as best as possible. But there's, you can't change the game of football. You can't change the skating, right? And so like, there's, there's a limit to that. And I loved hearing the developers kind of acknowledge that. And it's cool because, you know, they ultimately eventually realized that it was time to kind of bow out with that. And so the, the series sort of died and, you know, and that's fine. 
It's it's okay for a thing to have its run, have a huge cultural impact, I think, and not necessarily go on forever. And, and Tony Hawk, to me, feels like a guy who understands that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you look at the game industry and series specifically, I think they're at the same kind of hands as network television series that are driven by ratings and viewers and whatnot, as opposed to Netflix or Amazon original series that really produce entire seasons with no intent to make a second or third, or they commit to making multi-season series and have an endpoint. Stranger Things, case in point. When the Duffer Brothers came to Netflix and they presented their idea, that first season, I'm not sure how it worked in the timeline, but that first season was a big hit, either with Netflix first and the audience or vice versa. And Netflix said, essentially, how many seasons do you want to complete your story? And I think they said four. And so after the first season, they announced, this will be this many seasons. And for me, as someone who loves multi-season series, I like a complete story. As much as I love procedurals, I like overarching stories that bleed through in multiple seasons. Now, I'm not saying that video games do this, but when you look at like the Assassin's Creed series, there was a lot that went into that series, having separate teams working on separate parts of a game or separate entries into the game as sort of tie-ins. And the truth is, Aaron, you're going to get duds because when you get used to playing a certain way and you change that way up, it's going to probably separate, divide your audience because what you see as innovative may be frustrating if you're so used to something. And so it's a difficult thing to do. And I think it's important that the creators at Activision and the developers understood that it is difficult. And that's what I think the documentary does well is they recognize that Tony Hawk has a shelf life, but that shelf life doesn't define its value. In fact, as we will know here in a few weeks, we're getting a completely remastered version for PS4 of Tony Hawk 1 and 2, which says something about the value of that game series. Beyond just its iterations, we're getting two of the most popular games in the series that were getting it right and we're giving it the ps4 treatment aaron i was so excited when i found out about this i think you sent me a message like mm-hmm. before the summer even hit and i was like pre-order got it yeah and now because we pre-ordered we get to beta test the thing or we get to get the warehouse uh, uh level or something this weekend to check out i am so excited about that not just because i want to see an updated version of tony hawk one and two when eventually the game fully releases but because of the fact that i get to go back to my roots and enjoy the gameplay that i enjoyed on playstation in a fresh environment and it's just going to be a lot of fun yeah totally agree it's i think timed very well to have this documentary coming out on August 18th, by the way, on video on demand platforms all over the place. So if you're interested in checking this out, August 18th, you can find it. And then September the 3rd, two weeks behind it or three weeks behind it, the video game, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake is coming out. And 
it's perfectly timed and I, and I, I love it. I mean, I, I wish that we would get more kind of combos like this as movie lovers, documentary lovers and video gamers. Like this is amazing for us, especially because it's a series we care about and like, but the news was amazing when this hit and I follow a lot of video game media. I was actually a little surprised at how much the excitement was taking over at how beloved this game series was and people were gaga to hear about this and the big question was is it going to play the same way like we know you're going to make it look amazing we hope you're going to put the soundtrack in there which i believe they have worked very hard to get done but like is it going to feel the same are the mechanics going to be the same are the buttons going to be the same because what ends up happening in a lot of these remakes is they want to make it better quotes air quotes and that means changing it but the early reviews of this beta are that it feels exactly like it felt playing it back in the day. And that is going to make most people, I think, extremely happy. And so, yeah, like you, I'm pumped to get the beta this weekend and check it out. And honestly, the documentary just got me even more psyched for it. I, I felt like my, I guess, average fandom for the series rose... I, I hold it in higher regard now because of watching the history of it in this documentary, if that makes sense. So I really, really enjoyed it. It was a great brisk watch. I didn't think it had too much padding anywhere, really, even though we would have been okay with more of either or both of the sections. I did have a ton of fun with it, and I would highly, highly recommend it for anybody that has any interest in extreme sports, skateboarding, the game series, Tony Hawk, any of these things, you're going to have a, a good time with this documentary. Here's the funny thing, Aaron, is I, I agree with that completely. And I think because of the length, because of what it touches on, the documentary, I believe, will do for skateboarding as a sport and the video game coming out what Tony Hawk 1 and 2 as a video game did for the skating world. It's going to influence people's interest. And I hope that there is kind of a revival of skateboarding games and extreme sports games. I'm obviously not a big-time gamer. I'm a casual gamer, so I don't know what's out there. I know that there are a lot of racing games, but it would not hurt my feelings to see some of these older entries that were popular back in the day get a remaster or maybe an update, something like that. But I'd like to see some more extreme sport video games out there. Yeah, it's all the rage right now. I always remember this old Sega game gear game called like California surfing or something. I can never remember what it was, but I remember playing it on a handheld all these years ago. And it had like a surfing game and a BMX game, all the like mini games inside of it. It was, it was a ton of fun. So I would like some of that as well. Uh, but yeah, a really kick-ass BMX game would be a lot of fun also. And they, they made some around the time that this happened because of course we have to copy anything that is successful. That's, that's the way of the world. But yeah, modern day graphics, I'd take it as well. So to recap, we loved it. We thought it was awesome. Definitely think it's worth your time to check out if you're interested in the material in any way, shape, or form. The documentary will be out on Video On Demand August 18th. The video game Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 Remake will be out on September the 3rd. And if you happen to hear this episode 
and pre-order it before August the 14th, 15th, or 16th, then you can do so and gain access to the beta and come shred in the warehouse with Patrick and I sometime over the weekend, because that's what we're going to do. We're actually excited because also the video game has multiplayer, and it has online multiplayer where you can do create a park and create a skater, and that's one of the things I'm most excited for. If we can do that together, man, oh, Man, oh, oh boy. The, the Feel and Film Skate Park is going to be yes. epic. It's gonna Feel be and epic. Film Skate Park is going to be rad. It's going to be rad. It's going to be rad. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be gleaming that cube. That's right. I was like, wait, oh, that's a movie reference. I got it. Okay. That was terrible. I'm going to stop now before I run us into the ground any further. That's okay. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this documentary review. Stay tuned because not only will we have our upcoming regular weekly episode, and continuing on our Matt Damon kick with the talented Mr. Ripley, joined by Mr. Colesse Davis to talk about that one. But we also have some more FF Plus on the way, though there's going to be a couple of episodes, in fact. One where I will be talking about a couple of films, another documentary, actually my favorite of the year so far. It's called Boy State, uh, as well as a new Netflix film starring Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon Levitt called Project Power. That episode will be out probably almost the same time you see this one. There's only going to be a few hours difference in their release. And then early next week, we'll have another episode on Feelin' Film Plus with some spoiler-free reviews for Disney Plus's The One and Only Ivan, a documentary on the Iran hostage crisis called Desert One, the sequel to Train to Busan called Peninsula, and a new independent film that stars Ethan Hawke as Nikola Tesla. So keep your eyes out, keep your ears open for more FF Plus and many episodes coming your way. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.